80% of chronic diseases that are costing our country a fortune, causing people to lose relatives and lose limbs and lose loved ones and work interruptions and uh, all kinds of tragic situations are entirely preventable by simple, inexpensive lifestyle steps. That was Dr. Joel Kahn. And this week, it's all about heart health on episode 128 of the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Rich Roll, your friendly neighborhood ultra endurance athlete, best-selling author, wellness evangelist, husband, father of four, dog owner, plant eater. Thanks for tuning in. What do I do here? Well, each week I sit down with somebody really amazing. Sometimes it's somebody you've heard of, sometimes not. But collectively, in my opinion, Together, these people constitute some of the brightest, most forward-thinking minds in health, wellness, fitness, sports, nutrition, and sometimes even the arts and entrepreneurship. All people looking at the world differently, all challenging the status quo, breaking paradigms. Why do I do this? To help you discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Thanks for listening. Thank you for spreading the word to your friends, to your colleagues, to your coworkers, to your family members on all your social media networks. And thank you for clicking through the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. Come on, you guys. What's up? If you're not doing that, get with the program. It's totally free. It takes no extra time. It does not cost you a cent extra on your Amazon purchases. But Amazon kicks us a little loose commission change, and that really helps us out, helps keep the lights on over here. So thank you so much to everybody who's been doing that. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. 
To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. All right, you guys, you've heard me say it a million times. Despite all this interest, all this intrigue out there that's revolving around wellness and health and diet and nutrition and fitness, the simple fact remains that, in the United States at least, we are in the midst of an almost unspeakable healthcare crisis. Let's look at heart disease, America's number one killer. Well, heart disease kills millions of people annually. Millions. In fact, one out of every two Americans will suffer from some form of heart disease in their life. And one out of every three deaths in the United States is attributable to heart disease. 70% of Americans are obese and indications are we're getting fatter. And studies forecast that by 2030, 50% of Americans will be diabetic or pre-diabetic. So right now, what does this mean? Well, 75% of all healthcare costs are attributable to just four chronic conditions, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and two forms of cancer, prostate and breast. And the great irony in all of this is that 90% of all chronic health problems can be resolved by a pretty simple diet and lifestyle alterations. But Here's the tricky part. Amidst all of this is a ton of confusing information about health and nutrition and diet. And it's really difficult, if not altogether impossible, for even a very, very savvy consumer to separate fact from fiction, to separate truth from hyperbole, to divine the difference between 
good information on the one hand and good news about bad habits on the other hand, because those are two different things. So today, to help me sift through all of this, I sit down with my good buddy, Dr. Joel Kahn. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you might remember that I had him on the show. It must have been a year and a half ago. It was episode 44. So if you want his whole origin story, go back and listen to that episode. Uh, but real quick, who is Joel? Well, Joel is a guy who calls himself an interpreventional cardiologist. What does that mean? Well, it means basically that he treats his patients with a blend of traditional interventional cardiology, in other words, things like stents, and also preventive cardiology. And it's this rare combination that makes him pretty unique in his field. This is a really smart guy. He graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan's prestigious Ineflex program, which is this crazy six-year undergraduate slash graduate program that basically develops doctors fresh out of high school. It's like you graduate from high school and you're immediately in medical school. And Joel has served as clinical assistant professor of medicine and cardiology at Wayne State University School of Medicine since 1993. He has authored over 130 articles on heart disease. He is a frequent lecturer on heart disease and its prevention, and he has performed thousands of cardiac procedures and has been advising patients on heart-healthy programs for over 20 years. So what am I saying? Well, basically I'm saying uh, Joel is a guy that knows what he's talking about, and his basic message is, look, if you want to experience true long-term wellness, then you're going to have to focus on implementing sustainable long-term preventive protocols into your lifestyle. And this starts and ends with diet and active lifestyle. This is not brain surgery, you guys. But today, the main and really the specific thrust of our conversation is focused on what is really going on in nutritional science. What is truth and what is marketing? In other words, or for example, is butter really back? And what are the health impacts of a low-carb, high-fat diet versus a plant-based diet? What are the risks and what are the benefits, if any, of hyped-up trends like butter and oil in your morning coffee? What is going on with this idea that suddenly everything we thought we knew about saturated fat is wrong, and now suddenly it's our best friend? And this related idea that Dietary cholesterol intake has no bearing on heart health. This is like the new idea that's out there right now. I really wanted to get his opinion on this subject, as well as his opinion on the optimal protocol to maintain heart health in this culture in which heart disease is literally an epidemic that has already spiraled far, far out of control. So this is a good talk. It's straight talk. Joel is awesome. This one's not only educational, it's completely uh, fun and uh, as well as informative, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's tap into Joel and see what he's all about. So this is a unique situation. Uh, I checked my Instagram this morning. I noticed my good friend Joel Kahn happens to be in Los Angeles for unknown reasons. You're greeting the uh, sunrise in LA. So what do I do? I immediately email you and go, what are you doing here? Are we doing a podcast or what? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the witness protection program. I'm not actually <laughs> privy to explain why I'm in LA and I'm using a uh, pseudonym. 
Well, it, I mean, you know, Detroit this time of year, you got to escape. Yeah. And look at this terrible weather that you brought with you. I know. Shame actually, on you. I, I, I sadly rented a Mustang convertible thinking I was going to be the big stud going up and down 405, but uh, big stud had the top up, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is cool. This is our second time uh, on this little merry-go-round, and thank you for making the time. Usually uh, I sit down, I do a lot of deep thinking, pondering what the podcast is going to be plenty of research, but this is all very spontaneous. You, <laughs> I want to talk about what you were doing earlier today, but you drove up here. We're kind of having a little bit of a, not a party, but we have some friends over, some of which you kn- you know, actually, and we're just all hanging out. We're like, hey, let's do the podcast, <laughs> right? So know, it's a, this is a Saturday night at the Roll Household, so welcome. Doing, doing lines of cacao. I've never quite <laughs> seen that done before, but uh, I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah, good. All right. Well, if you start to, uh, you know, see stars or, or slur, we'll... we'll will adjust. No problem. Yeah, but you did sign the release, right? <laughs> it's all good. I'm a... Cool. So you came in town to, you were speaking this morning at Saddleback Church, right? You got it. Tell so, me about that. Yeah, it, um, there's a great story that about three and a half years ago, Pastor Rick Warren, who uh, is famous for a lot of good things and a book he wrote that sold 35 mm-hmm. million copies. Did it sell uh, that many? 35, Whoa. yeah. I think it's the best-selling book other than the Bible. Really? Some, something like that. Wow. Even bigger know. than Grain know. Brain and uh, <laughs> Wheat Belly. <laughs> but um, uh, the story goes that he was baptizing 850 people one Sunday about three and a half years ago and dunking them and bringing them out of the tub. And he realized that not only had he become quite corpulent, as they say, but his church was oversized and his mm-hmm. shoulder was killing him. And uh, he had this uh, vision that he had to clean up this 30,000 mega church and introduce good health. So mm-hmm. uh, long before I knew of that, he brought in Dr. Oz, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Daniel Amen, and some others. Uh, got a director by the name of D. Eastman, who's just a doll of a human being. And really, they created a vision that they were going to use this church as an experiment in lifestyle change and behavior change. What they had, which was awesome, they had about 10,000 small Bible study groups mm-hmm. all over Southern California. And they instituted a program that some portion of every Bible study group had to be dedicated to cleaning up your diet, your exercise, stress management, better sleep, um, with a formal curriculum called the Daniel Plan, which a lot of people wow. have heard about. And in that first year, some excess of 250,000 pounds were lost by um, about 16,000 of the congregants signed up in the first week. So just as mass That's action. Crazy. How long, uh, that was, how many years ago was that? Uh, about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, they had such a remarkable success with this kind of lifestyle change plan, kind of, you know, food being the focus, but not the only component. In fact, they talk about, food, fitness, focus, uh, friendship and fellowship and such, the five Fs, the five Mm -hmm. pillars, um, that they've developed a yearly health rally just to kind of keep people on track and focused and all. So I came out as a guest last year and participated a little, but I got to be on the stage, the dais, for any of my Jewish friends, the Bema. Uh, <laughs> and, and as a Jewish, as, a, as, a, as a someone of the Jewish persuasion being in uh, this, it's, I mean, it's like a mega church, right? Yeah. I mean, I've never been inside it, but give me an idea of like how many people are there. Like this dais is enormous. Yeah, well, you know, there's, I understand there's multiple sites for Saddleback Church. This is the main mm-hmm. uh, site in Lake Forest, California. And um, it's a, in itself a huge complex. I mean, kids centers and ministry centers and all, but we were in a room that probably holds about three or 4,000 and it was wow. packed to the roof. Uh, 
incredible stage. It was about a three-hour event celebrating health, and uh, we had four chefs on stage. That's the part I did. I was the John Madden of color uh, kind of conversation. It was kind of fun what mm-hmm. um, Mark Hyman spoke for a while about mm-hmm. uh, clean diets, and Daniel Amen spoke about good brain health. Um, but I was working with the chefs, and they would basically show a before and after. What's in your pantry now? What's in your refrigerator? What can you substitute? And I got the job of being uh, the person to destroy the bad food. So I was jumping on bags of Lucky Charms in front of uh-huh. the church congregants. You know, that's what I trained for in medical school. Uh, the funniest thing was I was handed a box of Lunchables and a uh, chance to talk about how wonderful that highly processed food that most kids eat for lunch nowadays in school um, and it inspired me that I should just throw it on the ground and just destroy it. So I jumped on it with my full force, not knowing it would just explode all over the front <laughs> row, kind of like uh, Nickelodeon well, and, this the, is, this and the goop. <laughs> this is your Broadway moment. Now I know why you're really here, right? Like the right. the uh, former entertainment lawyer in me is coming out, and I'm going to squire you into town tomorrow and find you an agent, and, and hey, you're gonna, we're, we're your, your career is about to take a whole new turn, Joel. We're going to be destroying processed food, uh, <laughs> Kind of like Led Zeppelin crashing guitars. So it was a great event. I mean, they do great stuff down there. Uh-huh, cool. Yeah. And so who else? So so uh, Mark Hyman was there. Who else was speaking? Yeah. Daniel Amen. Uh-huh. Yeah, Dr. Oz was involved in originating it, but right. he doesn't come out very much. And then a, a tremendous fitness team. There was, you know, dancing and Zumba going on, and um, a couple of behavioral psychologists were speaking. Uh, John Townsend wrote a book called um, Barriers. Uh, really good advice about how to kind of control yourself and control your kids with reasonable, mm-hmm. reasonable approaches to them. So right. just, you know, it's, a, it's fantastic this is occurring in a church, and I give these people amazing credit. My connection was I did the Daniel Plan in my synagogue in Detroit. We were the first Jewish faith-based uh, institution oh, wow. to kind of use their system. And, and what, I mean, uh, what, is the, what is the Daniel Plan? Like, how do you synopsize that? Um, uh, eliminating bad, putting in good in terms of both food and fitness and positive mental focus for change. So, I mean, the core elements would be eliminating dairy, eliminating right. processed food, upping your fruits and vegetables. I mean, most of it is completely, you know, wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fascinating that it's coming out of, you know, faith-based community as opposed to why isn't the hospital doing this? Right. Why isn't a medical center as involved in the community as this? So I, I think it's tremendous, and I'd support, as they are, trying to spread the word and have this reproduced all over. Yeah, it's super interesting when you can see that kind of impact happening on a community level coming through you know, an organization like that. I think it's, I think it's really cool. Yeah. First the Pope. You see what the Pope's yeah. doing, and now see what Rick Warren's okay. doing. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Rick was there last year. He actually, all that baptizing, he had to have his shoulder operated on last week. Oh, really? And even though, even though his community has gotten a bit thinner and it's a bit easier to put him, pull him and put him out of the uh, baptismal, he had to actually have some kind of surgery. So we wish him well and a quick recovery. Interesting. Well, I haven't seen you since the Mind Body Green uh, Revitalized Conference, but you're looking well. You're looking fit. Uh, it's a lot of chlorella. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot of chlorella. T- well, that that prompts a, a spontaneous question out of me. Like I Instagrammed, like oh, smoothie of the day, and I said, oh, this uh, this one happens to have spinach in it, hemp seeds, chia seeds, blueberries, strawberries, and spirulina. 
And I got a bunch of comments about like, I gotta, I gotta watch out with the spirulina. And so tell me what's going on. Yeah, there's, there's been some contamination. Uh, even our good friend, Dr. Joe Macrola has written about it. I mean, it's been out there in the web that, mm-hmm. um, some sources in Asia of spirulina have been contaminated, I think, with a fungus. There's some toxicity yeah. issue or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, I think uh, Dr. Gregor did, did a video on it right. as well, which I, should, which I should go and check out. But yeah. people were saying, yeah, you might want to opt for chlorella, not spirulina. Yeah, there, there's right been now. that word. I actually can't give you the latest world's update on uh, if our spirulina sources are now clean. I actually do take spirulina you know, pretty regularly mm-hmm. also. Yeah, I have yeah. been for some time, but now yeah. I'm worried. Uh, you're looking pretty sure. good. You saw what I wrote. I don't feel You saw toxic. my comment. What was my comment on your Instagram? Uh, I don't know. What was uh, it? You're looking, looking kind of 18 for a guy that's 40. Oh, yeah. So now I remember. Yeah. How could I forget that? Yeah. Yeah, that thank you. Know. yeah. And now here you are doing a podcast. With uh, me. How does that who work? Who would have known? <laughs> Mysteriously, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and how's the relationship with Dr. Hyman? Because I know the last time I saw you, like I said, it revitalized. You, you, were, you, were, you were kind of doing this program with him where it was sort of vegan versus paleo and... Yeah. It was you and uh, and Dr. Hyman and Frank our friend Frank Lippman, who yeah. has also been on this podcast. You guys had a jovial uh, kind of banter, and uh, and now you're doing events with him. Yeah, no, uh, Mark's been a mentor, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, to me, and uh, no, he's a force. He's tremendous. I mean, mm-hmm. if you take the view that. Highly processed food is creating the obesity crisis in America, and job number one is getting rid of, uh, you know, the uh, the the team of PhDs that are making addictive and hyper processed foods that dominate what kids are eating and adults are eating. We're all one team because yeah. you know the Daniel plans a clean diet uh, in terms of that, and uh, uh, so is everything that Mark writes about. What he's doing now and is really fascinating, as you may or may not know. He's been appointed the head of functional medicine for the Cleveland Clinic. I didn't know that. I had a chance to talk to him about it, and there are amazing things that they're supporting it financially, just incredible. So, again, we're talking about getting into kind of the grassroots uh, causes of disease, which Mm -hmm. is going to go to nutrition and fitness and stress and sleep, as opposed to just giving a pill for everything or getting a laser or an operation for everything. and. Um, I think you're going to see a great model coming out of there. The medical system has to change. It's just yeah. unbelievably uh, locked into the idea that we got 10 minutes with a patient and the easiest thing to do is prescribe something as opposed to right. kind of address the root cause. So right. I, mean, I hope he's widely successful there. Yeah, I do too. And I think that brings up a really important point, which is, you know, let's focus on the big things. You know, we can we can get into the debate and split hairs over, you know, high carb, low carb, high fat, low yeah. fat, all these sorts of things that we love to kind of obsess about. But let's let's bear in mind that, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on now, but I think there was a McDonald's in the Cleveland yeah. Clinic. And, yeah. you know, most people are eating fast food on a, on a regular basis and, and really don't even have you know, the first aspects of education when it comes to the kind of things that we're talking about. So I think it's much more productive to focus on how we're going to all get together and, you know, in the sense of community, which is how we kick this podcast off, start to talk about and address these problems and solve them together hand in hand, as opposed to bickering amongst ourselves over, you know, this aspect versus that aspect. Well, I agree. I mean, from... you know, you and I are of one mind when you talk about the environment, you talk about animal rights and animal cruelty. There's only one approach you can really take if you want to be consistent and authentic there. But when you get to health and what's happening 
uh, and you put on blinders about those two critically important issues, mm-hmm. you know, there are multiple pathways to health that appear to work. And the unifying statement is we've been just, you know, led down a path of uh, unbelievably horrible food for 60 years. And mm-hmm. it is epidemic and it has to turn around. And if the Cleveland Clinic and the CEO there is a cardiac surgeon and he's just like supporting this to the max, which is such a rare example, but right. I hope other hospital CEOs take note and uh, play catch up because we need it everywhere. Right, right. Interesting. And, you know. Right, for sure. Uh, for sure. And then, you know, so so there is that kind of on the the, you know, the mass level, but, you know, I'm also trying to parse through like all this stuff that's going on with nutrition right now. And I've been known to email you from time to time, like, hey, I'm hearing this. What do you think? And one of the interesting kind of email chains that I've been lucky enough to be on with you recently has to do with something that's going on right now that's that's really popular, which is this idea that, you know, per the cover of Time magazine, that butter is back and everybody's drinking bulletproof coffee with MCT oil or grass-fed butter in it, and that uh, this idea that saturated fat is bad is is not true. Saturated fat is your friend, and that cholesterol does not contribute to heart disease um, is, you know, in a most general sense, kind of, is it fair to say that those are ideas that are kind of popular at the moment? And they fly in the face of kind of what I was led to believe was the truth. And so I would reach out to you. Hey, what do you think is going on here? What, you know, what's the truth? And if you go online and research it, you're, you can find support for whatever perspective, you know, right. you're coming from. So it's very difficult. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. Um, but I'm relatively savvy when it comes to these things. And even for me, it's difficult to parse truth from fiction. I can't imagine just the average consumer, you know, that they're really at the prey of whoever is the most effective at marketing. So I'm interested in your perspective on this and kind of, you know, how we should approach this. Yeah. And that's a very well said introduction and very diplomatic. And, um, it is very difficult. Uh, I'm not even sure, you know, if you just stop people on the street and said, how many of you give a hoot about this or do you even know that there's a slight controversy? Because I agree, you and I obsess about it. Um, right, we're in it, we're in it. You know, yeah. we're, we're in it. But, but, yeah. but you're, I mean, to be fair to you, you're, you're on the front lines. Like, you're a cardiologist. Yeah. Well, you're the person yeah. who is looking inside these people's chests and, saying, and seeing these clogged arteries and trying to address the problem. You're, you're, you're right there front and center. So I would imagine that you're more connected to this issue than most people. I agree with you. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say I care more, but you're right. I do. I do want to give the right advice to my patients. Um, I do want to help them. And actually, I want a wider audience than just my patients. I want to be an influence leader for the country because it's a critically important question. And again, I think uh, in the bigger area, do we need to, if we had to sort out the low-fat, high-fat, low-carb, high-carb, or just get donuts and Lucky Charms mm-hmm. and Skittles out of the schools? I mean, let's, we got to do both. I mean, there's there's a different issue there of just getting rid of all this crap that's um, surrounding, and again, I keep coming back to kids. It's a, just making kids develop diabetes and uh, early heart disease. But if you get down, you know, to the question you asked, I mean, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes and go through it. I mean, mm-hmm. my understanding, and I've been a pretty good student of it, and probably this has come up in the podcast before, but 
Um, there was this kind of concept until the 50s that heart disease was an age-related disease, that you lived old enough, you got it, and it wasn't something under your control. And that was at a time that maybe people were living 50, 55 years, 60 years is the average lifespan. Um, a couple of forces challenged that. The Framingham study in Massachusetts started studying 6,000 people that lived outside of Boston and determined who got heart disease and follow-up and what were their habits and what did they eat and what was their lifestyle. And out of that, in about 1960, came the first publication, the Framingham Heart Study, that actually clearly connected smoking to heart disease, mm -hmm. diabetes to heart disease, blood pressure to heart disease, high cholesterol to heart disease, um, a close family relative that had heart disease to your own risk. And we realized about 1960 on that heart disease wasn't just an age-related thing, that there were factors that influenced your chances, and that suggested there were factors that you could take control of. You could work to avoid diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, mm -hmm. obesity, and the rest. That was kind of a whole new concept in 1960. And part of that was the nutrition issue, um, which was kind of going on simultaneous. And we get back to the famous figure of Dr. Ansel Keys, who right. was far from the only um, person, but probably the most prominent. And again, I'm not sure when I was on your podcast before we talked about that, but I've read a lot about the man. And I mean, the man's incredible. He lived 100 years, died in 2004. He didn't just have one PhD. He had two PhDs, one from uh, actually right here, Southern California, actually in oceanography, his first PhD. And then he went to Oxford and got a PhD in nutrition. And he came back to Minneapolis, his That's hometown. That's a bizarre swift. Yeah, from oceanography? Bizarre. Like, yeah, how does that yeah. work? Yeah, he was out here uh, <sighs> studying, uh, you know, health of animals and then changed it to health of humans. Um, went back to Minneapolis in the early 40s and started studying. He did a fame, one of the first studies of executives in Minneapolis and their risk of developing heart attacks and relationships with food and all. And this was really kind of novel work. And, you know, as some of the listeners know or not, um, Another thing he did, because he was at that point a pretty well-recognized expert in starvation, a well-recognized expert in nutrition, um, he developed for the Army the K-rations, and the K is for keys. Right. Uh, it was a 3,500-calorie kit that a soldier could carry with them and uh, survive for three, four days with enough nutrition to make it in, the, uh, in service and undoubtedly saved lots of lives in that. But he started studying executives in Minneapolis, and I believe uh, he had a trip to Naples in the very early 1950s and discussed with some professors in Naples that they just basically never saw heart disease. And he was so intrigued by that concept after having studied executives in Minneapolis who had heart attacks and heart disease. Um, and really, the, the very first seeds of what the Mediterranean diet might do for heart disease came in that early part. Mm -hmm. He published this very famous study in 1953, um, where he analyzed the rates of fat intake in the diet, the rates of heart disease in six countries. Um, it was not a prospective study. It was governmental data, something called the FAO um, organization, which had a database of data on the topic. And he presented that he seemed to see a correlation between increased fat intake he didn't, I'm purposely not saying saturated fat because that wasn't even on his map. Mm -hmm. Increased fat intake in the diet, increased heart disease risk, and he presented it. And he got this incredible pushback that, um, that wasn't correct. And that was 1953. That is not the seven-country study. Um, as it turned out, as many people have heard this story, there were actually 22 countries in the database, and he later wrote why he didn't use 16 of the 22, and a lot of it was unreliable data. For example, Mexico was one of the 
um, 22 countries. Mexico didn't have death certificates at that time. Pretty hard to judge who died of heart disease when you're dealing with a country that didn't have death certificates. Did it still correlate, though? Um, so in 1957, two uh, other researchers by the name of Yerushalmi and Hillebrew um, published a paper that criticized um, Key's data. They added those 16 countries um, and they showed that there was a correlation between fat in the diet and heart disease. They showed it a little bit weaker, but it was still statistically very valid. They actually didn't disprove anything. What isn't discussed much is when you looked at all 22 countries, which were not cherry-picked by Keys, but were picked based on scientific and valid reasons, um, that actually animal protein was even more strongly related to heart disease than fat, and animal fat was more, heart, more strongly related to heart disease than plant-based fats. In mm -hmm. fact, plant-based fats were not. So indeed, in some way, Hillebrew and Yerushalmi, these critics that the paleo and Western Price people rally around, actually moved the field ahead also by pointing out it maybe was a more... Um, a, data, a point you could get more specific about. Animal protein, animal fat were related to heart disease in all the data. All of that led Ansel Keys to try and scrap together a few dollars at a time that there was very little research going on. The NIH was funding almost nothing. And in 1958, he kicked off the seven-country study. And you know, at the time, nobody appreciates how uh, unusual it was to do this kind of research, and there was very little of it ever done. Um, went to... Um, uh, I want to say 16 communities, uh, 12,000 men, and you know they sent these forces into the field. Uh, they would go to a city in Italy, and they would go to every male in the city, and they would draw blood. They would do an EKG. They would do your analysis, like just mass epidemiologic associations of data points way before computers. Everything's on paper. Everything's on cards. And over the years, in fact, from 1958, it took 12 years, they published a paper in 1970 with just phenomenal amount of data that supported mm -hmm. in a prospective, on-the-field uh, way that there indeed was a relationship between animal saturated fat intake and coronary heart disease. The seven-country study, which is not what everybody points to in 1953. That was a different paper. That was six countries. That was just a retrospective analysis. Is actually still ongoing. There's still data points being accumulated on these people from 1958 even to the current day. There's updated publications. It's been a phenomenal basis of um, research. And by about 1970s, 1971, the American Heart Association, seeing this gigantic database come out, adopted over the time, the philosophy that Americans should try and decrease the amount of saturated fat in their diet to decrease the amount of coronary heart disease. I don't see any problem with any of that that's gone along. The other interesting thing that started to happen, I'll just bring, is that, has um, anybody ever talked about North Karelia on your podcast? No, so I don't think so. At that time, Finland had the highest rate of heart disease in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely blew away every point that was out there. Um, and a province in Finland called North Karelia, which is in South Finland, and I can't tell you why uh, that occurs. Um, the entire province, and I believe there's about 100,000 people that live there, they got together as a community because, you know, it's easy to say they had the highest risk of heart disease in the world. What that actually means is people your age and my age were dropping dead of heart attacks like flies. These strapping farmers working in the fields, thin and fit, were dying of heart attacks. It didn't take much effort to realize why. They were adding 
butter in their diet, typically 10 teaspoons of butter a day on bread. They had a reasonably high smoking rate. Um, they drank whole milk like banshees. It was the culture of Finland. Mm-hmm. And the um, not a high carbohydrate culture, and, right? Uh, like it's, uh, it's not much fish, fish based. Yeah, I'd imagine like a lot of fish in that diet, right? Um, probably, probably you know, being close to the water, there probably was. I can't really tell you that for sure. But animal saturated fat was sky high, and as a community effort, first in this province of North Karelia, ultimately in the entire country, they got together as a community health project to say perhaps you should use. Um, uh, polyunsaturated margarine instead of whole butter. Perhaps you should try skim milk instead of whole milk. Um, perhaps you should quit smoking and uh, and some other hygienic measures. They dropped around the same time the risk of heart attack very quickly by 85%. 85%. This is all published in peer-reviewed literature. The data still is coming from North Karelia. It's by far one of the most compelling databases to say that reducing animal saturated fat in the diet reduces coronary heart disease. You know, there's so many other points to talk about, but when you take Key's data, the North Korea data, the American Heart Association got on board with this concept that it should be a principle to limit animal saturated fat. All right, so so in the most general sense, Key's was like this gigantic figure in, in terms of, of sort of moving the ball forward with respect to research and heart disease. And, and I think it's fair to say probably a lionized figure who at some point in our history, very recent history, there's been a revisionist kind of approach to right. this. And that lionization has gone to demonization. And, and there's a lot of finger pointing saying all this research that led to uh, the American Heart Association, et cetera, saying that we should be eating a low-fat diet is the cause of why we're having all of these problems because it led to, uh, I guess you could link it to you know, the amount of sugar that we're now eating as a result of packaged foods trying to be low-fat and compensating with sugar and other processed you know, uh, uh, ingredients, <clears throat> et cetera. And suddenly we find ourselves in a position where the pendulum is swinging absolutely in the other direction. So what is it that happened? Why is this happening now? And what is the argument that is being uh, used to say that Keyes' research was wrong? Yeah. So um, as I see the take, I mean, the American heart got on board and started telling Americans decrease the amount of fat in your diet. Well, Entenmann's cookies popped up and Pop-Tarts popped up and all these other things. Of course, nobody included that as what you should, I mean, somebody should have stood up and said, eliminate or decrease animal saturated fat and eat more fruits and vegetables, eat more nuts and seeds, uh, eat more hemp. But uh, that wasn't the message. Right. These packaged food companies would basically say they want to be able to label their food as low fat. So how do you do that and make it taste good? Well, you got to put a lot of salt in it or you got to put a lot of sugar in it. You got to make it taste good somehow, right? So, So suddenly these foods, for the sake of being low-fat, become unhealthy in a different respect. Absolutely. And um, what actually happened is the amount of saturated fat in the diet during this time that the American Heart Association was saying limit it, they didn't go down. So that's the first point that nobody recognizes. Mm. The current health crisis of obesity and diabetes was not the result of the success of this message. It did not decrease Standard American diet is about 35% fat, which is similar to 30 years ago. But the amount of sugar went up because people, and the amount of calories per day went up. But it was just adding in more and more 
uh, all the choices in the grocery store of mm-hmm. uh, prepackaged and highly processed food, and we're suffering from that. So that's one aspect is that uh, we actually never followed these recommendations. No surprise there. A recent story has come about that with really the pendulum has shifted. I think it's been about the last two years that it just really seems to be swinging that this whole story was wrong and it was all the with keys. Keys was wrong. Forceful personality of keys uh, slamming this down the throat of the American Heart Association. Therefore, the public heard about it. And uh, if we had only just left everything alone, like Finland, just leave it like Finland and let everybody have their heart disease. So. Um, there is allegedly, I'm going to share this, and I'm sure this hasn't been discussed in this podcast, a meeting in Mexico City in November 2008 of the world dairy producers, where they were very concerned that the American Heart Association was saying, and other bodies, the European Society of Cardiology, that we should limit our saturated fat in our diet to less than 7% of our total calories. That is the recommendation Mm -hmm. until just recently. Um, And apparently they devised a plan to increase funding of researchers that were milk-friendly researchers, not so much necessarily to influence what they were going to publish. Nobody's claiming that they actually were in there manipulating the data. But, you know, you can pick people that are friendly and not friendly and give them funding or not give them funding. The the milk-friendly scientists. Milk (laughs) lobby, the big milk. Uh The big milk. And uh, out of that, there's a feeling that a couple key publications, really in the last 12 to 18 months, have come out of that influence and um, highly criticized studies, one in 2010, so that's actually a little bit longer, and then this Chowdhury study that came out early last year. These are what are called meta-analyses, re-evaluating the link between saturated fat and heart disease. Both of these studies, um, one uh, by an author named Siri, S-I-R-I, and one by Chowdhury, um, both of these allegedly identifying that when you take all the world data, that really when you look at it in a big perspective in in a statistical model called a meta-analysis, not new data, not going back on the field and measuring all these health parameters in 12,000 people or all, that they could not substantiate. Now, clearly, number one, the authors did not uh, identify that eating more saturated fat was good for your health. They were questioning whether the link was true or not. Both Um, of these very highly quoted studies have had um, a lot of critics. Um, uh, A cardiologist named Stamfer in 2010 immediately jumped on that meta-analysis and pointed out all the flaws. And then the one that was published, I think it was March of 2014, again, it's called the Chowdhury Study, Harvard School of Public Health very quickly just sliced and diced it, and it continued to be sliced and diced, but the word was out. And the, if you want to say the damage was done um, in terms of making New York Times, Wall Street Journal, media all over that, um, you know, media loves controversy. So all of a sudden we got new data that saturated fat isn't so bad for you, which wasn't the message it's good for you, but, uh, you know, it was one more... Um, break in the armor that we had a consistent story right. since Keys, and all of a sudden it wasn't consistent. It's it's really interesting. It's fascinating. I almost feel like I want Malcolm Gladwell to study what happened. Like, how do these trends, how do these ideas get lodged in people's minds, and what accounts for the idea that takes root and becomes the one that 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 starts to spread like wildfire? So basically, what you've just said is. 
there were some studies out there that people like sort of who do what you do or who are in the know go, oh yeah, I know, you know, oh, that was a pro milk dude that did that. And oh yeah, that, well, that was discounted. And, you know, quickly we dismissed that. And yet, despite, you know, maybe you and what your peers may know, these ideas get spread and, and suddenly everyone is adopting this belief that, that, that you must be sitting there saying like, well, how did that happen? Didn't we all agree that that study should have been, you know, kind of dismissed? So, so, I mean, what, when you, if you're like a forensic scientist and you're analyzing this, like, how do you, what do you make of this? Well, you know, there's an old Yiddish tale about being careful about um, gossiping about people that is about a, a gossiper um, that the rabbi, and I hate to share a rabbinic story with you, but the rabbi took him up to a tower, took a feather pillow, slid it open, let all the uh, feathers out, and then said to him, I want you to go and get every one of the feathers and bring it back. And the man said, it's not possible. The point being, same thing with gossip, same thing once it's out, it's out. And the analogy is pretty clear. These studies got headlines, these studies got Time Magazine, these studies got blasted all over the place. Even as Harvard School of Public Health pointed out dry, boring statistical statements of weakness in the studies, the feathers were everywhere, and they continue to be blown all over Mm -hmm. the place. you know, there's a few bright points um, out there. Uh, God bless John McDougall and Santa Rosa and the McDougall uh, Clinic. Um, but he's had a colleague of his named Travis, a statistician, just recently go through all the data. And there's no question in that data set that there continues to be a valid and strong connection between increased animal saturated fat, increased blood cholesterol, increased heart disease, the message being clear, be wise and limit it. I think it's also fascinating. The American Heart Association for about 10 years has said, eat less than 7% of calories of saturated fat. They came out with new guidelines last year. Didn't get a lot of attention. Do you think they loosened the guidelines. This is a panel of 15 august scientists looking at the world's literature, including these meta-analyses and everything else. They actually tightened the guidelines. They actually recommended we decrease further our saturated fat intake down to 5 mm. to 6% of calories. You know, that message isn't heard anymore. That, that label, warning label, American Heart Association recommends less than 5 to 6% of your calories coming from saturated fat. Because the data is so strong. I mean, put a person in a metabolic unit, give them a high saturated fat diet, their cholesterol will go up, and you watch them long enough, they'll have heart disease. Those studies were done 20, 30 years ago. They, they're, they're unquestionably accurate. All right, so a couple things. First, if this is so clearly the truth, why is it so difficult to get people to understand this? Yeah. Is it just because people like hearing good news about their bad habits, or this is just the trend of the moment? Uh, second is, uh, you know, what is it exactly that Ansel Keys did that, that is being pointed at to vilify him? And thirdly, uh, what's with this idea that cholesterol is not linked to heart disease? Because that's sort of the meme of the moment right now. Like, yeah. hey, you know, guess what? Cholesterol is not linked to heart disease. Everything you thought you knew about that is wrong. And that, that's, I see that spreading around the Twittersphere and the, you know, the internet like crazy. So, you know, educate me. Yeah. 
So he asked three questions. I'm going to test my memory to see if I remember. Yeah, so, right. you know, why? I didn't want to forget them, so that's why I spit them all out at once. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're here <laughs> we'll little, go back. We're here a little late at night in the <laughs> yeah. roll garage, and I'm uh, You've been eating try and, uh, rock cow beans. Yeah, so I think they're going to help me through this. So, you know, why is this happening? One, it's a big dollar business, and any way you paint it, there's a lot of influence from big beef, big dairy, big cheese, big... Uh, um, big pork and turkey. I mean, there's a lot of money involved here in the struggle for the public consciousness on limiting or not. Um, and I undoubtedly, I think there's a story that hasn't been told, and maybe it will be Malcolm Gladwell or some inv- maybe it'll be Food Babe or some investigative reporter that's going to someday find some documents, like smoking documents, about you know the food industry planning um, a public relations. Uh, kind of attempt that's looking very good for them right now and confusing mm. the public. And and I think also, once you have research out and published, like we said, it's very exciting when it comes out. It's very hard uh, to get the public to pay attention for another five minutes when uh, reviews and critiques come around that aren't quite as exciting. So that's one aspect. Um, number two, well, let me go to the third one because I remember it, which is um, there is no doubt that cholesterol is linked to heart disease. There's databases all over. What I have to go back to, and um, what most people probably aren't real familiar with, there are, there are rare genetic disorders that raise your cholesterol. There are children that have cholesterols of 400, 500, 600, 700, 800. What happens to those children when they're 9 or 10? They have heart attacks, they get bypasses, and they usually don't live past their teens. When I was a cardiology fellow in Dallas in the late 80s, I took care of a very famous girl named Stormy Jones who had her first heart attack at age nine, had a heart bypass at age 11, Mm. didn't make it past about age 14 or 15. Very sad story. Wonderful kid, was famous all over the world. She didn't smoke, she didn't have diabetes, she wasn't overweight, uh, she wasn't stressed out. She had a cholesterol of 700 or 800. I mean, that's the most extreme example you need, but elevated blood cholesterol will cause uh, coronary artery plaque will. So why are, why are people saying that it doesn't? Like, what is the what is the basis for that argument? Um, you know these these meta analyses mainly. Um, you know if you it's it's just you can cut the argument down one by one. If saturated fat isn't as bad as we thought, then it's and the, and if saturated fat raises cholesterol, then a high cholesterol isn't as bad as we thought. I mean, there is no controversy in the cardiology world that lower cholesterol by healthy living, exercise, weight control, or medication when appropriately used mm-hmm. without side effects um, reduces uh, heart disease outcomes. Now, it's true. You may have to treat 50 people to have one person that doesn't have a heart attack and die, this kind of number-to-treat uh, concept. But um, it's, uh, I, mean, I live between the integrative world and the standard world, but mm-hmm. it is not controversial. It is just... Being, it, it, what's happened is, and I hate to cast stones, certain people out there are writing books, the cholesterol myth, and they're selling like hotcakes. And, and there are functional medicine doctors out yeah, there who uh, are who are saying who yeah. are echoing this. Yeah. yeah, you know, if we want to go off down that road a bit, and there are, and I know some functional medicine docs that actually treat their patients with cholesterol pills. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Mrs. Jones, here, take this Not cholesterol. Not controlling pills, no, but no, actually no. giving are, them... These are pure cholesterol pills um, that raise their cholesterol to give their brain more. You know, these are 
complex and deep topics, but it looks like you need a blood cholesterol of maybe 80 or 90 to provide all the cholesterol you need to make your vitamin Ds and your steroid hormones and your cortisols. And because uh, there are healthy populations that have blood cholesterols of 100, Okinawa 110. Mm -hmm. These people are not testosterone deficient, brain deficient, and vitamin D deficient. Um, you don't need a cholesterol 300 to provide the precursor to those hormones. Right. So. I mean, is there an argument that elevated cholesterol does enhance brain function or brain health? Or, you know, isn't that part of sort of the, the idea yeah. behind that? That is what's being said. I mean, it's not a scientifically strong foundation. Yes, the brain has a lot of fat in cell membranes. All cells have fat in them. But mm. Do you, you know, do you need a, at what cholesterol level do you provide adequate substrate and what cholesterol level puts you at risk? And as I said, most of the studies that I've read have been somewhere around 100, 110 is all you need in anything. Because there's plenty of both natural societies and some people with genetic abnormalities that run these low cholesterols and they actually live longer than average. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's been very distorted. Uh, and again, the public likes... We know that the, the our willpower to avoid foods that are so tasty and fat-filled and fat tastes wonderful in the mouth and mouthfeel and all these comments, um, we've really made the message very murky. And those that are making the message tend to be authors that are selling lots of books, and maybe they're well-intentioned, maybe not. But, you know, you and I both know we could uh, start writing uh, the Bacon Biking book, and you'd probably sell as many as Finding Ultra uh, perhaps. And if I wrote the Bacon Heart book, I'd sell tons of copies. It's just, it's not an authentic message. Right. Certainly it's, it's easier to, you know, sell a message that is making people feel better yeah. about things that they like, that they yeah. like doing. But, you know, I, I don't, and I don't want to be dismissive out of hand to, you know, very intelligent, accomplished no. people like Dr. Peter, Peter Atia and others out there who are yeah. saying, listen, you know, ketosis is not, you know, there's, this is something that you can do and, and could be beneficial to your health. Like I'm not, I'm just not, you know, I don't have the degrees. I haven't yeah. spent the years reading the research to, to know the truth from, you know, whether that's true or not. Yeah. I mean, we had a, in the cardiology world, we just had in November, a study called Improve It published 18,000 people with heart disease they were either going to get one cholesterol medicine or two. And the combination, the two, really lowered their cholesterol more. What did they find? Well, when you drop the LDL to about 50, which is the, uh, you know, the cholesterol we believe is most harmful, there was a clear-cut improvement in outcome versus the LDL cholesterol 70 to 80. It was a gigantic study that once more said that if you want to avoid heart disease or if you have a heart disease and you want to prevent the bad outcomes, Get your cholesterol down, which you're not going to get down if you're eating tons of butter, tons of beef, tons of turkey. And uh, turkey is actually, excuse me, chicken is probably the largest source of cholesterol on the American diet right now. Mm, that's interesting. And that, that's another marketing thing that people don't really yeah. realize. They think they're actually doing themselves better by eating chicken versus, yeah, you know, gram for gram. It's very close to beef. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food, 
to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So the second point you made, and I remembered because of the uh, Panama cacao beans that we shared, <laughs> uh, you asked about keys, and just to wrap that up, because you go on and on. Um, it's, again, there's tremendous misinformation. The statement always is, 
Dr. Key's The Seven Country Study, this really phenomenal prospective epidemiologic study that's still ongoing that provided tons of data points uh, that really nobody questions. But he cherry-picked the seven countries. He had many more countries to pick from. That's actually totally wrong. That was the 1953 paper that he presented that was just a hypothesis-generating paper where he used this database. There was only seven countries, and there were only 16 communities, and there were only 12,000 men, and it never varied from its original design, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and why, upon his death, have they picked him to be the whipping boy of the we can eat whatever we want and don't worry about it, feel good movement? Um, is really unclear. I mean, right. he was a real pioneer and a real contributor to medical science. It's interesting. It's almost analogous to uh, the manner in which Denise Minger and the Weston Price Foundation people have tried to, you know, pick apart the China study. Isn't it? It's a similar kind of approach to dismantling. Uh, they've actually, you're absolutely right. They actually haven't done that with the seven countries study because it is scientifically so solid and it was actually a prospective study. Um, the China study was more of a, a, a zillions of associations. And yes, 23-year-old Denise has decided to take on probably the most esteemed biochemical uh, mm -hmm. nutritional scientist <laughs> in the country. And, you know, it's laughable. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know. But again, that was another something that really, you know, got traction. Yeah. And, and what I'm seeing here to bring it back to Malcolm Gladwell, is like a marketing and communication problem as much as anything else. Because I believe what you're saying, yeah. uh, but somehow it's not connecting. You know, it's th that message is not getting communicated effectively. It's almost like you need to hire a, a Hollywood uh, publicity firm to, <laughs> to, you know, sort of make sure that people are, are understanding what's, what's actually happening here. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more that um, we've, we, the result of all this for those that care, and I'm still not sure if it's 10% of the public that even cares about these issues or even knows that they're controversial. Cause again, we spend so much time and your listeners do too, uh, you know, us hackers of uh, improving our health and shooting for 120 years with good health. Mm. For the rest of the world, I mean, I'm not sure they know it, but they have not gotten a consistent message. I mean, the American Heart Association is not exactly, like you say, a uh, kind of uh, a sexy group that's got Bruno Mars doing their doing their uh, video and education or something that people can relate to. But they need that because they've mm. lost the battle of uh, of the headlines, and the headlines are always going consistently to the idea that we screwed up and go for it. Enjoy your steak and your cheese fries and, uh, and your milkshake. All right, so a couple things. Is there any logic or rationale whatsoever that, that somebody should add MCT oil or grass-fed butter or coconut oil to their morning drink, whether it's coffee or otherwise? So um, is there any logic? It appears without personal experience that many people say that they aren't hungry for what I'd call a real meal because I mean where's the well, it's an 800 calorie yeah, <laughs> depending yeah, on how, much, yeah, how yeah. much butter you put in yeah. but you know that it sustains them till mid-afternoon when you can then have a meal that may be rich in fruits and vegetables I understand but it, I can understand yeah, that you know there's a strategy there that it um 
that it may help you maintain or lose weight because usually lose weight because you're uh, you're, you're you're you are developing ketotic state every morning with that as your breakfast. It probably I, puts the caffeine on a slower drip, right? Does it does it does it slow down the 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 metabolizing of the caffeine in the coffee? I'm not sure about that. I think you know the idea is you're just feeding your brain some brain-friendly, you know, right. sustaining ingredients in a no-carb way that allows you to be you know, use an alternative fuel for your brain ketones. Is there a rationale? Is it so? Number one, I mean, I, I wrote this in Mind Body Green a couple of weeks ago. Low-carb diets, scientifically, I hate to keep bringing up science, but low-carb diets are associated with a higher rate of dying in the literature. You can go to multiple large studies that involve hundreds of thousands of people looking at all the data, and it's out there. There's yeah, no, but Joel, I know. it'll make you skinny. Yeah, but you know, that's right. You know, who cares about dying? We're caring, we're caring about performing at work and the rest. I mean, it's hate to be da- Debbie Downer, but there are no data that say long-term low-carb diets prolong life or to be fair is that because that study has not been done or it hasn't there isn't a study that it hasn't been around long enough to be able to evaluate that no there there's a multitude of studies when you add them all together in these multi in these meta-analyses they actually mm-hmm. show an increased risk of death so that's an important message it's not out there um so that's one two is uh, you know that kind of approach is an extremely high saturated fat breakfast it's uh, from what I've read. It's about 50 grams of uh, saturated fat if you're just using two tablespoons of butter. Um, you know, blows away your daily load that the American Heart Association would talk about or anybody else reasonable. And what I have seen that's posted in the blogosphere is cholesterol goes up pretty rapidly, pretty predictably, and often pretty dramatically. I mean, if you want to raise your cholesterol 100 points very quickly, that's a great approach. Now. No medical scientist that I'd consider holding their weight would suggest that you drive your cholesterol up 100 points in a month as any kind of therapeutic strategy for long-term health, benefit, cancer prevention. I mean, high cholesterol levels in women with breast cancer is associated with greater metastatic potential and all, let alone what it's doing to your arteries. Mm -hmm. Of course, the big unknown is cancer takes 5, 10, 15 years. Heart disease takes 5, 10, 15 years. This has all been a trend in the last two, three years. Am I concerned? Yeah, I'm very concerned that people who are going to consistently follow this diet are um, putting themselves at tremendous risk for developing premature coronary disease. We just can't see it yet. We haven't studied it, followed it long enough, and I think it's a a rather dangerous thing to do. Um, My reading of medium-chain triglyceride, the whole coconut oil issue is a difficult issue, and part of it is, you go to the store and you buy coconut oil, you're not actually sure what's in there. Um, the optimal, it's, it's very biochemical and scientific, but the optimal length of your fatty acid chains should be um, six or eight carbon fragments long, maybe 10, but you don't know what you're getting in the bottle. And if they start to get 10 and 12 and longer, then they're getting into the kind of long fatty acids mm-hmm. that are in animal saturated fat, even though it's a plant-based product. So you're not sure. There is a product out there that's in the butter coffee that is an eight-chain fatty acid, uh, high-quality um, group. And it's been used in some medical situations, but like liver disease and others. But nobody's studied it in people. This is an experiment that has no, uh, you know, no outcome data to know what's going to happen. And there are people clearly reporting they feel more energized and their weight's under better control and a whole lot of other testimonial stuff. But... Um, 
as a physician, as a scientist, as a cardiologist, as somebody who cares about people's arteries, very, I mean, it can be tested. Uh, as you know, there's been studies done, for example, eat a Big Mac mm-hmm. and you can measure arterial function 30 minutes later and demonstrate damage. Um, that hasn't been done with anybody doing these kind of very high plant-based saturated fat. Well, this is a mixture of plant and animal because of the butter being animal. Right. It's super interesting. I mean, the whole coconut oil uh, kind of dialogue is 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 really uh, amazing to watch too. Because on the one hand, you have uh, the thought that this is a very uh, high caloric food with very little uh, nutritional value other than its calories and its fat content, right? There's no micronutrients in this. Um, and my understanding is that the saturated fat component of coconut oil is comprised of lauric acid, which is a more easily metabolized version of saturated fat than some other versions. So yeah. it does, it's, it's less likely to be stored as body fat and more likely to be used as energy, right? Yeah. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, you do. Um, versus the other side of the, the coin, which kind of says this is a superfood elixir and this is going to cure all sorts of ailments. Um, and you know, where do you, where do you, you know, like, where do you find the truth, you know, in that? And, and it goes around the merry-go-round, right? Like we can, we can have this whole debate around that as well right now. There's a nice study. Nice. If you like to have heart disease with palm oil, uh, which is a plant-based tropical oil. Again, I'll point out Mm -hmm. the American Heart Association last year specifically, um, recommended avoiding tropical oils. That's coconut and palm. Um, okay, so maybe they're maybe they've got it all wrong, and they've had it all wrong for seventy years since uh, Dr. Keyes designed this uh, nefarious project. But I'm telling you, the largest and most respected cardiology body in the country says limit your tropical oils. Um, but at least with palm oil, there's been clear data that it accelerates heart disease, and that's a tropical oil, plant-based, highly saturated fat product. Now, And what yeah. is the chemical difference between palm oil and coconut oil? Um, I can't give you yeah. the biochemistry. Right. But, um, you know, it's good. So I think, you know, for the listeners, yeah, keep it like, simple. Right. Eat your berries, eat your chia seeds, so, eat your flax in the morning, make a smoothie, put it on, you know, uh, steel-cut oatmeal. I think uh, it's a very dangerous path to go down this last couple years of pendulum swinging to... You have no rules anymore. Go enjoy all. You know, and it, it merges into this entire uh, bacon uh, philia out there, which is not part of any healthy paleo diet, and it's not part of any um, heart-healthy diet. But, you know, where do you draw the line? If, if grass-fed butter's okay and coconut oil's okay, then bacon's okay. We've really just circled around to having no rules. I think it's just Right, terrible. right, right. So, yeah. so just to be crystal clear, when a patient walks into your office and says, hey, doc, uh, I'm loving my, you know, my grass-fed butter and my coffee, this, and I hear it's doing great things, and, and this is the way to be healthy, your response to that is what? Do you have life insurance? <laughs> right. No. I, no uh, yeah. I, you know, in my field, and, I, you know, it's crystal clear, there's only one group of data that demonstrates you can prevent and reverse established coronary disease, and it is the Dr. Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn plant-based, low-fat diets that um, aren't out of... It's very easy to say, and I hear many of my friends in the functional medicine world, 
oh, crazy old Dr. Esselstyn, crazy old Dr. Ornish, they did those studies years ago. They're just not valid anymore. Excuse me, I mean, Dr. Esselstyn just published a paper updating his data in July 2014. Dr. Ornish is doing the most amazing research on epigenetics with his original plan, and uh, it's, a, you know, totally changing the course of prostate cancer when you eat a low-fat plant-based diet. It's the most cutting-edge science out there that everybody's quoting. No, Everybody in the world quotes Ornish. Nobody mentions that it's a plant-based, mm. low-fat diet that's demonstrating the ability of our environment to influence our genetic makeup. And that's what I educate every one of my patients to do and to learn about and to read. Watch Forks Over Knives, read Ornish's book, read Esselstyn's book, um, get educated. Um, we can talk about it. I've got this a really amazing event that's occurred in the last 12 months where um, a patient asked me to develop a support group for Ornish and Esselstyn heart patients with serious heart disease and uh, just challenged by the fact that it was more than ever kind of socially unacceptable to say in a restaurant, I don't want oil on my food and I don't want butter in this. Mm -hmm. And we started up this plant-based support group in Detroit in uh, February 2014. I got a little room in the hospital, thought about 20 people were going to show up. We had no PR, very snowy, cold night, and 135 people showed up. And I don't wow. know where they came from, and I don't know how they heard about it. And we realized this gentleman who was just a member of the public but a heart patient and myself, I said, we were we got something here. And turns out we basically formalized the group that we're going to meet once a month. We're going to volunteer a time to lecture. So we now have 700 members in this group. It's probably the largest dynamic support group for heart patients to mm. fight the culture and eat the way that science says. Uh, Rip Esselstyn came in September and we filled an auditorium with 500 oh, cool. people. And then uh, Dr. Esselstyn's coming in two weeks. We've got 1,000 people already registered. Wow. No charge. Just It's like people are coming out of the woodwork. That So there is actually that. I mean, I'm very hopeful that there are people that are discerning. You know, all they got to do is go to the uh, bookstore or go to PubMed or talk to a competent physician, and they're actually getting that there is a real uh, path to improve your heart health through nutrition, and it isn't all the things we were talking about. So it's been a very hopeful and very exciting thing to see this That's dynamic really cool. mass of yeah. uh, excited people. My role as kind of the medical advisor and kind of one of the people that founded it is every time we meet, I tell them, you know, there's a bad world out there that, that's going to hold a butter stick and going to hold a piece of bacon and going to, you know, tempt you with this or that based on the Wall Street Journal or Time magazine. And let me review for you the data and uh, how you need to be strong so you can respond to uh, this kind of counter push. So Right, strong like emotionally to be able to kind of weather that and stand right. your ground yeah. and make the right decision. If nothing yourself. else, um, Dr. Khan says it's okay, I'm going to do it, but I want them to understand a little bit more than that. Uh -huh. So, you know, they know the data. They've seen these amazing pictures right, of right. angiograms. I mean, I'd like to see, again, these crazy diets and some angiograms a year apart. They're yeah, not let's, see the, be let's see the before and angiograms yeah. that you see when you crack Dr. Esselstyn's book. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing, and I'm not seeing that anywhere else. Well, either. that question I so. have them ask, I said, if any of your relatives, friends, coworkers, question what you're doing. Just politely ask, I like what you're doing. Can you just show me the angiograms of before and after so I know it's okay for my heart to eat the way you're telling me to do? Of That's course, a pretty good response. Shuts them down pretty yeah. quick because <laughs> there's no science to these crazy things going on. All right. So answer me this. If you were the Surgeon General, what would you change? What would you do? 
Um, I would use the power of legislation, Surgeon General. I, I know we're not supposed to interfere in people's lives and tell them what to do or not. I would dramatically change. Uh, if there's any way legally to shut down or alter um, food, I mean, I would get fast food out, change, mandate, tax it, do something that it is no longer possible to walk out with a bucket of fried chicken and feed a family. Like just downright socialist yeah, approach it, it, to the whole thing? I, I mean, the, the, the reason I think you need draconian measures that will upset people and raise these questions of freedom and liberty and all the rest is we've got a real problem in this country. You know, you can just look at one issue, which is diabetes, and there's about 30 million diabetics in the United States of America. Uh, the original prediction was that within about 25 years, we're going to have 100 million diabetics in the United States. Um, right, about a by, third of all people, right, about two thousand. By 2030 yeah, or yeah. something like that, yeah. a third of American, like one of every three people. Exactly. Now the latest prediction is it's 40%. Sorry we underestimated. Mm. 40% of Americans in the African-American and some of the Latino communities, it's 50%. We're talking about medication, shortened lifespan, uh, work difficulties, hospitalizations, amputations, heart surgeries, and all the rest. This is, you forget about Obama and any other alterations in the health care. This is a actual national issue that has to be addressed, that we are not going to be able to sustain 18%, 20%, 25% of the gross national product on health care. So, I mean, it may take draconian measures to get into schools, hospitals, workplaces, vending machines, and all the rest. And Put friggin' fruits and vegetables. We need a national mm -hmm. task force. I mean, forget the drug war for a while. Let's work on the food war and really get honest and get authentic. I mean, that's what I do. It's not going to happen. And not going to happen. What about what about the FDA? What about the USDA? What would you do with these regulatory bodies that are yeah. sort of quasi government, yeah, quasi private? Yeah. I, I don't see it happening, but we just got to split up the fact that the you know the same institution that's doling out dollars to dairy and beef and pork producers is also the one that's making food policy and regulating food rules, and mm -hmm. it's just you know the level of conflict is uh, not conscionable, um, and uh, you know we've got to, again there has to be a national discussion at the highest level. I'm glad we've got. You know the first lady involved in this, but this is something that you know I think from president on down to you know recognize that um, this is threatening the very health and liberty of the country over the next twenty to thirty years if we don't get control over this problem. Yeah, so, it's insane. I mean, forty. You're we're we're basically talking about half the people. Right? Yeah, almost half the people yeah, are yeah. are having you know chronic disease, overweight, you know diabetic, whatever yeah. it is. Like yeah. we're basically half of our population essentially. Uh, either incapacitated or severely limited in their ability to not just enjoy life, but to properly even function. Yeah. No, and, and, you know, the, the, the hopeful side is we don't need high tech to solve this problem. We need to limit and alter the food source, the food education, the food habits of America. But the solutions are very simple. And, you know, in the past, it started... Um, with a publication in 1993, but there's been a talk about other medical literature that's very important. There's been just paper after paper after paper lately. It's very easy to say that heart disease, 80% is preventable and related to lifestyle and cancer, 60% and diabetes, 90%. Those are things a lot of speakers like myself say, but actually there have been a a, a treasure trove of papers of 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 kind of large studies 
have consistently shown this magical number that about 80% of chronic diseases that are costing our country a fortune, causing people to lose relatives and lose limbs and lose loved ones and work interruptions and uh, all kinds of tragic situations are entirely preventable by simple, inexpensive lifestyle steps. So one of my passions is speaking about heart attack prevention. I mean, it's a shame if you have a heart attack at age 55 and drop dead. It's a shame if you uh, survive but are limited and all the rest. Uh, And there have been a series of studies that say it's about six or seven lifestyle habits that... um, will make you nearly heart attack proof. And nothing's high tech and nothing's a laser and nothing's a bypass suite and nothing's the kind of things, unfortunately, the hospitals invest in. Well, that's not sexy. It's not sexy. Who's going to make money off that? It's not sexy, which is, again, why I'm kind (laughs) of hopeful about the Cleveland Clinic that this message will come out. But I'll just list them, and you won't be surprised by them. And there's, you know, just... Don't fall asleep out there because these are boring. Don't smoke. Wow. But that's one that's got to be on everybody's list. Eat more than five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. That's on every scientific list. Keep your weight trim and your waist uh, under 40 inches for a man, under 35 inches for a woman. That's on every list. Move 30 minutes a day as part of a fitness program. And we can actually add a little asterisk there. You probably ought to stay on five, 10 minutes a day if you've got a job that keeps you at a desk or in a chair or driving a truck. Move as much as you can. Sleep seven hours a night. That's number five. And I hate to bring up number six, but almost all these studies in the last 15 years say that an occasional alcoholic drink is on the side of preventing heart attack risk if you can manage it and avoid the obvious downsides that exist. Now so, I feel bad for not giving you a glass of wine this evening. No, no, no. I was totally fine. The cacao's got me buzzed, and <laughs> uh, I'm glad I didn't have to stop and bring you a bottle of wine as I drove up here. I thought about it for a minute. I said, not, not rich roll. No, right. I was, I was the wrong, wrong, wrong house. That's yeah. right. Leave it at the neighbors. <laughs> um, but I just listed five or six simple things, and um, study after study. You can be in England. You can be in Sweden. You can be in... Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, United States centers will show that that will, if you want to live a heart attack free life, that does about 80 to 90% of it. Then we can add anti aging, then we can add chlorella and spirulina, anything else we want to talk about. Yeah, but I want the, see, the, the super secret VIP yeah, but, uh, thing that no one else knows. I know. The sexy thing. It's What's their, the thing I can buy? Yeah, the one thing of the day yeah. that then you have to have a show next day and tell you the one thing. I mean, these are the six or seven things that work consistently and uh, need to be shouted from the rooftop. And that's what I'm, I've got a new book coming out in three weeks that uh, is- I didn't know it was coming out that soon. Yeah, well, I'm self-publishing this one. So oh, you uh, are. First one called Whole Heart Solution that Reader's Digest yeah, published. Yeah, And mm-hmm. it only came out in September, so it's not like it's an oldie moldy, but this one's called Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses, How to Survive the C-Suite with a Healthy Heart. And it's wow. really a short manual on what I just discussed and other ways to uh, identify and avoid heart disease during your career. So three weeks. So, uh, so what date is that? Is that coming? Out? I, I'm shooting for February one. February it's, one. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Maybe I'll maybe I'll release this podcast on that day. Wow, well, well, cool. Kind of you, but uh, so, getting yeah, back so to tell, the important point. No, I but mean, tell, all right. We'll finish that. But then so, I want to hear know, a little bit so more. So you, about you the asked, what would the Surgeon General? What should yeah. the USDA do? We should rally around and popularize and educate the world that that is the goal because the sad statistics, even though everything I just said has been known for now for about uh, 30 years, those six or seven lifestyle habits, when you look at these studies, 
Typically, 1% of the population studies does all six or seven. Or if you look at five or six, maybe mm -hmm. five to 10%. It's an amazing small portion of the population does. I mean, nothing I mentioned was tough. It wasn't run you know, a, a triathlon five out of seven days or anything mm -hmm. uh, crazy. It was walk 30 to 40 minutes a day. And usually the biggest one people fail at is nutrition. That uh, what's called by the government a healthy nutrition pattern of five, six, seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day, it's under a percent. Uh, so right. get the basics done and then everything else is fluff. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Why do you think the nutrition part's so hard for people? I think it's skills. I mean, I think people know they should do it, but there's a skill to getting five, six, seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day. You know, it's something you now do without thought, and I do too, but breakfast, you, when you've got Lucky Charms and Fruit Loops and toasted mini-wheats and everything, where's, you know, you, you've got to make changes. You've got to think about slicing up fruits and vegetables and getting a blender or a Nutribullet or... Um, yeah, I mean, you it's know, not, yeah, you know... Having, uh, hummus, carrots, and celery for breakfast. <laughs> you know, you travel in Europe and you see the typical breakfast buffet is 60 70% fruits and vegetables. It's a slightly different yeah. cultural approach to what breakfast is. So, I mean, when you listed out your items to be essentially heart attack proof, this is not like, you know, the joke is it's not rocket science. We all know this stuff. Yeah. So it's not really an education issue. It's an implementation issue. It's an action issue. And, you know, maybe it's a willpower issue. I don't, you know, when there's lucky charms everywhere, how do you make the right choice? But, but it's not about not, it's not about not knowing what the right thing to do is, or, you know, maybe it is with, to a certain extent, but I think that that you know, that's that's really not the main issue. I, I think the only knowledge deficit might be of 
how scientifically strong the database is that it really does do this 90% diabetes, 80% heart disease. That it makes a difference. That it really is not fluff. It is Mm -hmm. strong and repeated and up-to-date science. Publications in the last four weeks from Sweden that uh, echo this over and over and over. But you're right. How do you implement it? And, you know, do you implement it through workforce wellness programs that will benefit by better health of their employees and lower their insurance costs. So healthier cafeterias, healthier vending machines, walking programs, no smoking programs. That's what's going on, but, Mm -hmm. you know, not completely effective. Obviously, my view always is hospitals ought to be the center point of all this education because they should get it better than anybody. But fried chicken and bacon and, you know, uh, milkshakes are just as common, uh, including the lobby of the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, we got a long way to go. Um, schools clearly should be, but you know, then you're always fighting these darn lobbies and food mm-hmm. programs and uh, dairy dollars and school programs. Yeah, so so um, much of it tracks back to to money and government. It yeah, really does. you know, I think everybody it's just ought to download your Mind Body Green uh, teaching <laughs> video on how to eat plant based, and we'd be a long way down the road. Shameless plug for you for having yeah. me in your garage or in a cold, uh, rainy California. The whole night. heart solution and this new book. So what's so? Tell me, walk me through the new book a little bit. Uh, it's um, it's really a simple. Well, I'll tell you what it came from, and we were talking about that before you started. Um, it's certainly always been a passion of mine to teach this topic and lecture on this topic. But um, we had a very prominent uh, executive and car designer in Detroit drop dead suddenly mm. two years mm-hmm. ago. Very fit, healthy appearing, sixty year old executive led a big design center, and was out from Michigan, but was in California riding his bike and just dropped out of a heart attack and uh his widow is now a very close friend of mine and um she was passionate about teaching the message that this was tragic and shouldn't have happened he was seeing doctors nobody detected it and uh out of that came the focus to do this so it's partly a a, in memory of Imri Molnar uh his widow wrote the first chapter of his Mm. story in a plea to make that the last heart attack in America which is possible and then I go through the science of how to detect heart disease early using uh, imaging, early CAT scans, early ultrasound, advanced blood work, the data on that you can prevent heart disease through lifestyle, data that you can reverse heart disease through lifestyle and advanced technologies, and kind of wrap it all together. And uh, it's a pretty quick read. And you know, it's a really important message that uh, I just didn't see anybody talking about. And it doesn't have a nutritional philosophy that should divide people, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit more aggressive than the way cardiology is practiced, but we're dealing with a pretty big problem. Yeah, I like it. Um, cool, man. Well, a couple things that I want to kind of, uh, you know, close this down with. And the first thing is it's start something that's increasingly more and more on my mind, which is I'm 48, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rounding the corner towards 50. What are the things that I need to start being more careful about or what I, what should I be thinking about or what should I be asking my doctor about or, or, uh, and what tests should I be getting? You know, I want to talk about this one uh, CAT scan test that I think everybody okay. should get with respect yeah. to their heart. Uh, that's really important. I think that's great. So um, this is not Joel Kahn. This is the American College of Cardiology. This is a scientific body of data for about 20 years. But there's a type of CAT scan of the heart. So i got to give a little background. Um, heart's a tricky organ. It's small. The arteries are very small. The heart's moving. It's a bit. What you want to know is: Are your arteries clean? Or are your arteries starting to develop blockage? And anybody that has a heart attack, a bypass, or a stent has had the problem going on for years. 
The problem is you go to your doctor, if you go, stethoscope doesn't show any of that. Electrocardiogram may show nothing of that. Even a stress test may come back showing total normal, although a stress test isn't part of a routine physical if your doctor decides to do it. You can miss extensive heart disease on a stress test. Unfortunately, it's, um, we're just not very advanced in that approach to heart disease. You want to find out if you have a colon polyp or a colon tumor, you do a colonoscopy, you look directly at the organ. Everything I mentioned in heart disease is indirect evaluation. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, 20 years ago, a CAT scan method was developed. You lie down, you hold your breath for 10 seconds, and a CAT scan machine is turned on and off. No IV, no injection. It's called a coronary artery calcium CAT scan. 99 plus percent of the time, if you have plaque in your artery, calcium has been combined with the cholesterol and other elements of plaque. Calcium shows up on CAT scans, black and white. The heart looks very different than calcium. And in that very brief exam, you can find out if your heart arteries are calcified, which is early heart disease, silent heart disease. It's, I call it the truth serum. And if you come back and your score is zero, we have more than 1,000 published medical studies, some of which follow people for 15 years. If your calcium score is zero, you have very youthful heart arteries, your risk of heart attack or developing angina needing a stent are extremely low over the next five to 10 years course, follow a healthy lifestyle, but a lot of things can be relaxed a little bit. You may not need medication and other things. If your calcium score lights up 100 or 500 or 800 or 1,000, you've got a problem, and you need to see a person that really mm-hmm. cares about silent heart disease and nutrition and stress management and exercise, and there's roles for supplements. There's this crazy therapy called chelation, which actually can be effective in certain settings and is now science-proven. So it's just a very aggressive approach to use, particularly this CAT scan. It's not covered by insurance in like right. 48 or 50 states. Used to be pretty expensive, seven $800. My community, you can get it at one hospital for $75, another hospital for $100. So it's well worth about age 50, maybe age 45. If you're a smoker, blood pressure, diabetic, probably towards that younger age. It's not right for somebody that knows they have heart disease. So um, I was talking to somebody in your kitchen. Their father already knows he has blocked arteries in other parts of his body. Well, he needs the whole package of treatment. He's got hardening of the arteries. may not be necessary for somebody like that, but all the other people just saying, you know, I walked out of my doctor's office with a good physical exam report, not very meaningful in terms of identifying silent heart disease. And I'll tell you straight up, uh, this test saves lives like crazy people who do it and, and not enough people know about it. And I will just say that, uh, for a fact, straight up, it saved my friend, Jonathan Schwartz's life, who was an early guest on this podcast, really successful business manager, local guy, friend of mine here, uh, you know, marathon runner, uh, you know, triathlete, super fit, healthy guy, uh, was recommended to get this test, was shown to his shock and amazement that he had a pretty significant blockage and was really lucky to have caught it. Like it really saved his life. And it it was such a profound moment for him that he has started a foundation. Um, and now I'm kicking myself because I can't, I think it's called the Heartstone Foundation. I'll make sure I'll, I'll, I'll research that and make sure it's in the show notes. But for anybody that that can't afford this test, he feels so strongly about it that his foundation will support people to get it because it's not covered by insurance. Wow, that's awesome. I had not heard of that, but that is really uh, a great thing to do. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, it's again, everything boils down, follow the money. It's a test that doesn't really generate a lot of profit. Um, it really hasn't caught the attention. Uh, it takes big machines at hospitals own because no offices have CAT scans. And we just kind of, it hasn't really caught the attention of most cardiologists. And it's absolutely a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and but then, you can get it. But I mean, it's it's available, right? Yeah, like if yeah, you're yeah. near a metropolitan major yeah. hospital, yeah, Pretty, any medium or large size hospital will offer coronary artery calcium scoring. The other thing is that there's a lot of good advanced blood work, and we've gotten better and better at doing cholesterol analysis and other factors. So, you know, I, I love to see people around age 45 and 50 and do kind of a two stage evaluation, talk mm-hmm. to them, examine them. You got to kind of still be a doctor, but schedule them for the CAT scan, advanced blood work, sit down with them and design a program for them. That's kind of what's called personalized lifestyle medicine. You know, and it's very motivational both ways. If they come back zero, they're just like so freaking happy. And they realize that they did everything wrong for 50 years, but they still have a second chance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people really grab on to better health for that reason, that it, you know, wow, I might make it to 80 or 90. I better really start taking care of my life right, now. Right, right. And the, the other side is obvious. It's the scary message. You've got, you've got a problem and you need to wake up to it. And I asked them to put the report on their refrigerator and look at it every morning and you know, kind of have a reality test. That's effective. It works. Are you still writing uh, prescriptions to people to go get spinach and stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a number of us around the country. I got a shout out to Dr. Garth Davis. Oh, Garth is doing uh, it. Garth yeah. is doing a great program in Herman Hospital in Houston of mm-hmm. actually prescribing fruits and vegetables that are provided by an organic uh, producer in town. Yeah, it's um, I, I use my prescription pad because people just pay more attention to that. I might write on it, you know, go see your video program or go watch Forks or Nyes, whatever. And right. they just, it, it's much more effective than um, any other thing I've ever had because it looks official. It's on my prescription pad. Yeah, Cool, man. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. So 50, what else What else do I need to be thinking about? Well, you got to do the bit. You got to get your colonoscopy, whether you uh, like it or yeah, not. Yeah, I haven't I mean, done that. Yeah, yeah well, that. you know, you, you got a couple years. I mean, <laughs> but um, it's kind of a fun little break. You get to sleep for... <laughs> few minutes it was no big deal i mean i absolutely would join katie kirk and advising everybody to do it because it's no big deal um you know in my field it would be those two things advanced blood work and that coronary artery calcium scan um what else is cutting edge uh, um it's kind of the uh, you know i believe we're at the verge of a real breakthrough and real true kind of anti-aging i mean we're we're not just going to have again the uh, hysteria of the moment that comes and goes. We're really getting people like Craig Ventner from the mm-hmm. Genome Project and Peter Diamandis mm-hmm. from uh, XPRIZE right, and all X-Prize, these guys yeah. are like really focusing on understanding. Diamandis is really on he, it, right? Yeah, he well, he's working with Ventner. They mm-hmm. got they got a hundred million dollars to start with, and uh, you know they they really believe we're going to understand. Um, in more detail, the process of aging and in ways to interrupt the aging and cellular decay and um, and uh, extend life in a healthy manner. I mean, it's a pretty big notion about how to do that and implications. How are we going to have 20 million people on this planet with deforestation and uh, right. animal raising and all the rest? But nonetheless, I think that's really something to watch. And uh, the best anti-aging plan is to follow the six or seven heart attack prevention steps, which is a right. lifestyle anti-aging plan. We can't sit around and wait for uh, you know those yeah. guys to solve the problem and slack off in the meantime, hoping they're going to fix it for us, right? That's yeah, not going to yeah. work. You know the crazy guy, Aubrey de Grey? You know who he is? Uh, yeah. He's one yeah. of the world's yeah, yeah. leading anti-aging experts yes. with his beard down to mm-hmm. his knees with a English or Scottish accent, and I apologize to him. I'm not sure. I think he's English. 
Um, but he says all the time, your goal ought to be to live about another 10 years with a really good body and brain because there's going to be so many breakthroughs in this field that you'll have another technique or tool to make it another 10 or 20 years. And it's going to be bites like that that are going to make it more routine to reach 100, 120, or just read the Blue Zones book and start doing it now because right. that is the way. Right, right. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm getting, uh, I'm going to have Dan on the podcast, Dan oh, Buettner, soon, pretty soon. Yeah, I'm having dinner with him next week. Uh, I love that guy. So great, it's cool. great stuff that he's doing. Hey, man, I think we did it. Uh, we covered a lot of stuff. We did. I hope we, we weren't too heavy. How are we, no, it's, it's good, man. We need, you know, we need, we need the science. We need the hard facts. We well, need, we need, we need a little reality check. Yeah. You know, uh, look, heart disease, America's number one killer. It's killing people by the millions. It's it's crazy. It's ridiculous, and it's also yeah. preventable. And so, I appreciate your message. And um, you know, it's it's not like you stand to gain. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is just what it is. No, I really you know what care I mean? Like it may not, not may not comport dying. with yeah. like your preference for what you want to have for breakfast or what have you. But, you know, I believe that, uh, that what you're saying is the truth. I live it. And, uh, and, and, uh, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about it. I just uh, would put a plug. If anybody wants to follow up reading Dr. John McDougall's newsletter, November, well, you, you sent me the link to that too, right? Oh, wait, uh, I'll put a link it, in yeah. the show notes, um, yeah. to that. It's, it's online though, right? Like yeah, you printed it out there. December, 2014 has an amazing statistical evaluation of this saturated fat, heart disease topic. It's heavy and most people, you know, may not enjoy going through it. And I'll leave you this too. This nutrition action newsletter in April really did a nice job of, uh, parsing the issue of saturated fat heart disease this uh oh, cool this dairy-based meeting that i mentioned um in uh november 2008 and you know i think if people started we can raise consciousness about some of this uh science that supports what i believe is the real basis for nutrition and health uh, we'll be doing a lot of good with this podcast as you always do yeah very good is this nutrition action article online do we know um yes okay We'll get the link for that. So check the show notes for this episode. Everything that basically uh, Joel's been talking about that can be hyperlinked will be hyperlinked. So there'll be places for you guys to take this conversation, you know, further for those that are interested in doing so. Perfect. Right? Thank you. Right on, man. All right. So if you're digging on Joel and you want to connect with him, you want to learn more about his deal, the best way to do that is to go to drjoelkahn.com. Right? You got it. Pick up his first book, The Whole Heart Solution, and the second book, which will be dropping probably around the time this podcast goes live. Um, And the title of that book, again, is... Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses. There you go. And the third thing you can do, and we'll have to talk about that another time, you can come to Detroit and eat at my vegan restaurant that's opening March We didn't even talk about that. We We talked about it. This is what happens when... See, look, (sighs) here's the deal, right? Like I I have this fantasy that I want my podcast guests to just... I'll be sitting here, ready to go, and they just roll right into the chair we can just begin we just hit record from the from the get-go but we end up that never happens right i always have like you know half an hour conversation ahead of time and then i'm like you know we're gonna have to repeat all this stuff <laughs> so we talked all about the restaurant which i'm really excited about for you when is it opening uh, about march 1st i have uh-huh. the pleasure of having developed a really world-class uh vegan restaurant that'll open about March 1st in Detroit called Green Space Cafe. And it's it's a dream of mine because Mm -hmm. it's going to combine all my philosophy and teaching and a business enterprise with my son and uh, really got a buzz in the Detroit community. We're going to have just some, you know, 
you got the pleasure of living in L.A. where you got lots of choices all over the place, and uh, they're wonderful. But uh, we're going to add a lot to the Detroit community. So great stuff. It's great, man. You know, it's it's fantastic to see that happening out there. And uh, I love what's happening in Detroit right now with this renaissance. Man, so we're both restaurateurs now. I know. Can you believe that? It's crazy crazy in some respects. Um, Also, you can go to holisticheart.com. That's more like on your – that's sort of like the website for your book. Yes, it's great. Yeah, and uh, on Twitter, of course. It's Dr. J. Is it Dr. J. Khan? I never remember. D R J K H N. Right. And Facebook. You're on. You're pretty active on Facebook. Uh, my wife says. That. <laughs> my wife says I live on Facebook, not at home. But. <laughs> no. All right, we I love you, honey. That. Uh, yeah, we gotta. Maybe we have to work on an eye detox for you. I need to take a little uh, break. I agree. All right. Well, we'll talk about that offline. Okay. All right, man. Cool. Feel All good. Right. Peace out. It was wonderful. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Peace. Plants. All right, y'all. That's it for this week. I hope you dug it. Joel is great. No BS with that guy. Just good, solid information. And I appreciate that. Quick reminder, uh, check out his book, The Whole Heart Solution. Link in the show notes to the Amazon page for that book. Click through the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. And uh, we all win that way, right? And also, make sure you check out his new book when that comes out, Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses. Joel also is a frequent blogger for mindbodygreen.com, for forksoverknives.com, and the Huffington Post. Guy's constantly putting up new articles, so you can read up on all his good stuff there. I'll put uh, links up in the show notes to some of the stuff that he's doing so you can easily access it. Also, if you happen to be in Detroit this spring, check out his restaurant, Green Space Cafe. And if you happen to be in the West Valley area of Los Angeles, the Westlake Valley, the Westlake Village, I should say, area, come by our place, Joy Cafe, Fueling Awesome. It's right off the 101, the Westlake Village Boulevard exit. And more likely than not, if you come over at lunchtime, you're probably going to run into me or Julie. We eat there all the time. If not, say hi to Nick, Joy, have a great meal, engage them in conversation, expand your horizons, leave feeling great. It's all good for all your plant power provisions. Go to richroll.com. We got new t-shirts. We have these plant power California license plate motif shirts that are pretty cool. We got the tech tees and short sleeve and long sleeve. We got nutritional products, of course. We got the digital products, the meditation program, all that stuff. You guys know what's there. Go there, check it out. Also, go to mindbodygreen.com for my online courses. I got two of those, The Art of Living with Purpose. That's about setting goals. That's about connecting with your inner self. It's about unleashing that authentic version of yourself. It's about how to properly set and achieve goals. And then, of course, my Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition course, which is like uh, over three hours of streaming video content, everything you need to know to get more plant-powered into your life. Hit us up with a review on iTunes. Send me your questions for future Q&A podcast, production, audio engineering, music, sound design. Who did all that stuff? Tyler Pyatt did it. That's who. He's my son. He's rocking the production on this show. Thanks so much, Tyler. Additional production and editorial support, like the show notes, like figuring out the quote that goes at the top of the show, all that good stuff. That's Chris Swan. And of course, graphic art, as always, done by Sean Patterson. Thanks, you guys. See you next week. Read your food labels. I'm out. Peace. Plants. Later. Later.